nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I welcome you back. I'm so glad to be able to be talking with you again today. So we're going to continue on our our COVID-19 series. We've been talking about many different aspects of COVID. So today we're going to talk about using Cypher Health technology to speed critical decision-making. And my guest today is Lisa Romano. She's a CNO for the Cypher Health um, organization. And she's going to um, share with us quite a few of the things that have been uh, she's been experiencing from the technological aspect and then also her interactions with nurses. Um, so, uh, Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. And um, could could you tell a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into nursing and then how you got into this aspect of nursing? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, well, I have been a nurse for 32 years now, and uh, I, I never saw myself um, in the uh, role of chief nursing officer of the technology company 32 years ago. Um, but my, you know, journey took me here, and I, I think that um, it's great to be able to share with you um, just how flexible nursing is and all the opportunities um, that nursing brings you, both professionally and personally. Um, I got started uh, as a nurse in ICU, um, critical care medicine. I worked at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania for 20 years. Um, and during that time, I became a, um, you know, uh, critical care nurse, nursing supervisor. I did um, patient logistics, which was uh, bed control um, coordination of the transfer center admissions for a thousand bed hospital. And I transitioned eventually into being a hospital administrator, um, loved all the work that I was doing. Uh, but during that time, technology came on the scene and it was, you know, pretty new to have uh, tech at, at that at that point, um, and we had done a project with a technology company that um, really revolutionized uh, patient flow and bed control per se, and um, we got astounding results and started having um, all sorts of uh, visits from hospitals uh, across the U.S. and um, um, Saudi um uh, Norway, Australia. I mean, people were coming from other countries to see um, this new workflow and model for patient flow that um, we were able to automate and get these incredible results. Um, what we learned from that experience uh, is Lisa, that... Before you, Lisa, before you go on, could you explain about what yes. that looks like? You said you had extraordinary results, but what, what did it look like? How was it different than what had been done before? And, and how did yeah. it uh, speed things up or improve things? Yeah, so, um, you know, bed control, I mean, if you think about all the ways patients enter the hospital, they can come in through ER, um, they can be planned admissions, they can come over directly from doctor's office, they can come in, um, you know, transfers from other from other hospitals, we were literally dealing with a paper and pencil system um, in, I mean, all hospitals. And, you know, this is going back now, you know, 2002, 2003. Um, we had index cards, and we were stamping with a little blue card um, the patient's demographic information, and we were putting this card into um, a little 
like slot that was a paper slot on like a bulletin board. And if they oh were going to be discharged, if they were pending mm-hmm. discharge, we would like pull it back. Uh, and so when you talk about a completely manual mm-hmm. system, this was manual. Um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of walking um, through the clinical units and looking for empty beds and calling cleaning staff to go clean the beds. And there was just so much delay because of this very manual process. But at that time, Mm -hmm. there was not technology to help you actually um, see beds um, without physically going to look for it. So Mm -hmm. um, we were running about a 95% average occupancy. You know, um, there were 10 critical care units. There were... uh, medevac transfers coming in and um you know these were really sick patients and we could not delay anymore um and we started to see surge capacity which i'll talk about later with covid um but surge capacity happens even in um times that there's not crisis it just Mm -hmm. happens because you've got demand for service and so um when we started looking at actually automating the workflow, what we learned was that, you know, um, software is great. Software has changed the way we deliver care. But if you put software in and it's a dysfunctional workflow, you're just automating a bad process, right? And so, <laughs> right. We, you know, We knew that um, we needed to really pay attention to um, changing the workflow. And what is really fascinating with software implementations is that you can really look at opportunities with workflow that you can skip steps that you don't need to do, that were just time-consuming, but were really Mm -hmm. an actual result of Um, doing it manually. And so we were able to really design a very efficient process that leveraged that technology and gave us great data and gave us real-time dashboards that we could use in an incident command center that when you were dealing with surge capacity, um, you know, you could clearly see Um, what your bed availability was, and you could pull triggers to actually get resources there to expedite room turnover. And so um, when we talk about the results, um, running at 95% occupancy, surging up over 100% on a good day, um, we really couldn't grow admission volume. As we started to, you know, offer more services, um, it was difficult to really grow and um, not build more beds or actually, you know, um, you know, uh, build on additional wings. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able, using this technology, to actually accommodate 20% more admission growth in the same number of beds. Wow. And so that translated into a um, lot of... Uh, good care for patients, being able to really expand access to care, but many millions of dollars. And so that's when we started to really see, uh, you know, people coming from all, I mean, all over the U.S. and in other parts of the country, uh, you know, to see this program. And so um, suddenly I was speaking, you know, I was going to conferences and I was speaking on this topic and I was, you know, you know, um, basically, um, I think we hosted about 200 hospitals uh, over like an 18-month period to come and actually see this in action. And um, the software company, you know, decided that really they 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 needed a clinical division as part of their software company, and this was really. You know, this was a very profound change for um, IT companies at that time to recognize the need for clinical input. And so, for me, when when they, you know, when they asked me to start a clinical division for them and be their chief nursing officer, I said to myself, I mean, I'm a nurse. 
I mean, I've been at this <laughs> hospital for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I had no plans to ever, ever leave. I mean, I was just so, I was just so torn because I truly loved what I was doing, but I also knew that there were, there were so many patients that could be helped with this model. Mm-hmm. And, um, I could do, I could still do nursing. Um, but in a very different way. And so I made the very difficult decision um, to leave the hospital setting after 20 years, and I joined um, the, you know, software company directly. And we actually launched uh, programs in the U.K., um, many, many across the U.S., and we built transfer centers, centralized command centers. And, uh, you know, I feel... Um, really good about the work that we were able to do and all the patients that um, that were able to get access to care as a result of um, efficiencies gained using software mm-hmm. and strong underlying workflows and best practices. Um, eventually, I, I was very much um, interested in developing further um, the discharge process and and figuring out a way to really make discharge uh, much more meaningful for patients. And I was very interested in population health. And so mm-hmm. um, after about seven years, I made the very difficult decision to leave that company and to become the chief nursing officer uh, for Cypher Health. Um, that was um, very much in both the inpatient space, uh, but focused on that population health side and specifically outreach and communicating with patients and their families. And that's currently um, my my role. I I started a clinical division for um, Cipher Health, and uh, you know I can talk to you more about. Uh, the really good work we're doing at Cypher and now specifically the way we have adapted with COVID. Yeah, I want to start with um, what were some of the things that you started out with <clears throat> rooming patients and, and being able to deal with that. Um, what got added on then? What were some of the other programs that began to develop uh, to help s- streamline things and get things done better, but also better for the yes. patient. So what were some of those things yeah. that got added on? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a really important part of the story because I, I think that as we um, were able to move patients through the system quicker and we were able to really open up access to care and decrease wait times in, you know, inside the ER and, you know, um, moving patients from the recovery room and out of the cath lab and all that transfer was happening quickly. Simultaneously, the length of stay for patients was decreasing. Right. And, and suddenly, you know, we're, we're pushing to discharge patients, you know, um, get them out so we can get the next one in. And this was my life for many, many years, right? And mm-hmm. I realized that, you know, okay, I've done really good work to get the new patients in and get access to care, but these patients that we're discharging, are they getting all they need right. to really get better when they get home? And it mm-hmm. bothered me, and it bothered me a lot because what I would see is, you know, patients that might, they they might normally have the cognitive um, understanding, you know, to be able to comprehend discharge instructions before they were sick. But at that point, they've just been through a traumatic experience. Um, they might still have pain. They might have stress, anxiety. They might be concerned about going home. And we're giving them discharge instructions, and they really can't understand them, and we're sending them home. And then I yep. would see these patients come, you know, um, they would come back to the hospital just a couple days uh, later. And as I would dig down further, I would find things that we now know are 
social determinants, right? And and you could almost predict patients that were going to have a problem managing their exactly. care after discharge. But the system wasn't designed then to really focus on that. And so, you know, something as simple as we gave you prescriptions to take to the pharmacy to get your medications filled. Well, you think, okay, I gave you discharge instructions. I gave you your paper script. Um, go get better. Well, you know, patients might not have transportation to pharmacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or money. They, right. And, that, and that, was, that was key, is understanding the social determinants and that, you know, look, they, you know, um, there were so many patients that, I mean, I would, I mean, I would find out later that when they went to get the medication filled, it was um, too expensive. So out of five scripts, they got three filled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like, why didn't you pick those other two? Well, they were the more expensive ones. Right. But you really and probably the ones they needed care. the most. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. then there were things like, I mean, I talked to a patient once and she said, well... I just took I I just took uh, one of the pills instead of two, so that it would last longer. You know, so there was a disconnect, yeah. right? You know, between yep. understanding what was actually prescribed, and right. then you know, sometimes there's patients that they they do not have anybody to care for them after they're discharged, and right. and they just and they just don't. And so simple things like going to the store and getting mm-hmm. food after um, surgery, they would end up having to come back. And so these were things that I, I really felt after I had done so much good with opening up access to care for somebody that was um, newly sick, mm-hmm. I, I felt I really need to focus my efforts now on managing those patients after they're discharged and making sure that they can get better and they don't come back to the hospital. And that's, and that's what, that's what, um, you know, became, um, something I was very passionate about. Um, at that same time though, I will tell you my, my father got sick and my father, um, was the most wonderful father that any, you know, that, any girl could ask for, let me put it like that. He was just perfect. And, uh, my, my dad got cancer and, um, it was a terrible two plus, uh, years that he went through chemo and, uh, radiation. And I dealt with the hospital system as a family member and as a consumer for the first time. And Lisa, I had, Lisa, let's, uh, let's stop here for a minute mm-hmm. and take a break. And then I'd like you to be able to tell that whole story, um, you know, dealing yeah. with your father and recognizing the dysfunctions in the system. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And we are talking about using Cypher Health technology to speed critical decision making. And my guest today is the CNO of Cypher Health, and that's Lisa Romano. So we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Thank you very much for returning. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 
80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual Leadership Summit on October 22nd, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And we're having a really interesting conversation here about technology, which I know absolutely nothing about. So uh, we're calling it Using Cypher Health Technology to Speed Critical Decision Making. And my guest today is very astute on this topic, which is great. Uh, She's the Chief Nursing Officer for Cypher Health, and her name is Lisa Romano. So Lisa, you were telling us about... um, uh, you know, having firsthand experience with your dad's uh, cancer care to realize the dysfunctions that were going on and the areas that needed assistance to improve. Can you f- say more about that? Yeah, so, you know, very different when you're suddenly faced with, um, you know, being on the other side and a complete loss of control and uh, watching my dad you know, suffer, you know, suffer through this, you know, cancer experience. He was getting wonderful, wonderful care, but there were still gaps. And what struck me, you know, is that I was very clinically educated on, um, you know, ways to care for my dad. And yet, I still had questions, and there were still times mm-hmm. I didn't have what I needed uh, to help him um, after discharge. And I also had many, many nights where I felt completely alone trying to care for him, and I was still trying to work and take care of my children. And um, those social determinants are um they are very, very real. And, and I, I realized that if I was struggling to understand the medications that were very new to me, because, I mean, I was a critical care nurse. I right. didn't deal with cancer care. Um, if I was struggling to understand those, if I was, you know, struggling to understand um, really sort of the plan of care after discharge, then what does somebody that didn't have my clinical background do? And right. so, unfortunately, um, my my dad lost his battle with cancer, um, and I uh, I really in my dad's in my dad's memory have made this a passion of mine that mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do uh, work that was going to. Um, fill in these gaps, and I was very fortunate uh, to have the opportunity to um, start a clinical division for Cypher Health. Um, Cypher Health is based out of Times Square, New York, and um, also has offices in San Francisco and Nashville. Um, We are a communication platform, and, you know, we have um, solutions that allow for um, rounding on patients to really hear the voice of the patient 
and to understand their patient experience um, at any point of their journey. So, you know, they they might be inside the hospital. They might be in an ambulatory area um, getting outpatient procedures, and we utilize um, iPads or um, Samsung devices, and we have uh, questions that clinical staff are able to actually have a conversation with the patient um, using these prompts, and they they can record the answers, they can type them in, or they can actually talk into the device, and it will do um, um, text transcription. Um, the very cool thing with it, though, is they're also able to send what we call um, service alerts, and so. If they're talking to a patient and they're finding an area of opportunity, you know, something needs to be fixed, they can send through the device as they're talking an actual alert to say EDS. You know, um, maybe they entered the room and there was trash overflowing, right? Mm -hmm. And they can actually send a very quick message that somebody needs to come up to fix that. Um, all the information they're able to really collect, um, they can use completely real time to make sure that any particular issues the patient has are resolved. But they can also look at data after the fact to see trends, and they can mm -hmm. develop action plans to make sure that the next patients that um, come to the hospital or that particular um, care area don't go through the same thing. Um, in addition, we, oh, sorry, do you have a question? Yeah, I just was going to say that's excellent. Um, does that bring us into the testing for COVID or is there still another step? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in addition, um, we communicate with our patients and their families um, through a system called Outreach. And um, we have a wonderful technology that does automated phone calls. And so um, we developed in conjunction um, with our hospital partner a uh, program, um, and, it, and it can be like a, you know, chronic disease population like congestive, like congestive heart failure um, with a series of, you know, clinical questions um, or even satisfaction questions. But Depending on the patient's actual response to those questions, and they basically use the phone and they can use prompts, um, they can press uh, one for yes, two for no, um, the issue is going to be actually escalated to a live person that calls them back and at that mm -hmm. point is able to talk them through their question or concern. And typically, um, we design the script to focus on those gaps that I experienced caring for my dad. So right. do you have questions about your medications? Um, you know, and um, we can also get into some of the social determinants. Um, so wonderful, um, wonderful work, um, very impactful for patients. Um, we have hospital partners across the U.S. Um, and then suddenly COVID. You know, I, I, I can, you know, it's, I mean, I never thought I would see something like this in my lifetime or anyone's right. lifetime. Um, right. Given my background with patient flow and surge capacity and all the challenges that come with that, you know, I, to, to see what's happening to hospitals now with these uh, large volumes of very, sick patients that um, really require, you know, critical care. I mean, converting hospitals to essentially ICUs. I mean, it's, exactly. it's really surreal to even, you know, to even think about it. Um, you know, these, these uh, nurses that are caring for the patients on, uh, I mean, they're, they're specially trained nurses. They, are able to deal with patients on the ventilator, but, you know, titrating drips to manage yes. their blood pressure. I mean, some of mm -hmm. these patients, um, you know, they, 
they need dialysis. I mean, these are very complex patients. And so, you know, very difficult to manage um, the volumes of patients coming in, not just from the bed perspective, but to have the necessary supplies, but also to have a critical care nurse that's able Mm -hmm. to manage a patient. Um, So as we think about any tasks that need to be done that could be done by software and give that uh, nurse time back at um, at the bedside, right. you know, COVID made this completely more essential than ever. Um, and so we were, we were suddenly faced with, you know, I mean, when I think back, like, in uh, February, there, um, there really wasn't that much talk of COVID yet still. I mean, certainly um, we knew this was out there, but I don't think anybody thought it was going to get to this, to this point. Um, Cypher started actually working with a hospital in San Francisco um, back in February, and they were asking us to design an outreach program that would screen patients before they came in for elective procedures. And um, very simple screening tool that we designed, and we actually would call the patient um, through our system the day before their procedure. And at that time, we were still asking if they had traveled outside Mm -hmm. of the U.S., Um, and then we got into um, symptoms, and did they have a fever, cough, um, shortness of breath, Um, we screened over 50,000 patients um, within wow. about a month, um, and we saw about like uh, um, we saw about nine percent of patients uh, that had answered in a positive manner to the symptom checker, and a person would call them back from the hospital, talk you know talk through their symptoms, um, reschedule their procedure, and make sure they. Um, was given access to care, you know, um, Mm -hmm. basically talk through if they needed to come to the hospital or um, see their doctor. Well, now telehealth started being used um, and a wonderful tool that's just been absolutely critical during this COVID crisis. And then the decision was made nationwide um, to cancel elective surgeries. And so we saw the screening sort of pause, and suddenly um, we needed um, ways to communicate test results because there were nursing staff, critical nursing staff, that were on the phone calling patients with test results Mm -hmm. and, you know, talking them through um, what to do uh, Mm -hmm. after a positive test result. And, And this was something that could be done through technology. And so we designed a, uh, you know, script that uh, they were able to, you know, tie through integration um, with their medical record uh, that a, um, a call, uh, you know, um, was launched to a, um, to a patient that their test result was negative, um, or that it was positive and then would give them the follow-up actions to take. And that patient was also given the opportunity to escalate the call to talk to somebody live. Um, You know, testing is a very complicated subject right now. Uh, You know, there's been, there hasn't quite been the access to testing that everybody hoped um, would be there by now, but Certainly, uh, for the hospitals that um, had ample testing, this was a task that was taking up precious time that we could give right. them back. We have, this, is, yeah. this is a topic, Lisa, I want to put more time on, and we're coming up against a break here. So um, just as you were talking, it suddenly dawned on me why it was that San Francisco uh, went to the um, uh, sheltering uh, a part the distance sheltering uh, before anybody else. I was, you know, in my mind, I was trying to figure out, well, why did they know before anybody else that we needed to do this? And now this just puts it crystal clear to me how they knew that. We're going to go to break and then we'll come back and let's talk about testing because that's a big confusion for a lot of people.
So this is Once a yeah. Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We're talking now about using cipher health technology to speed critical decision-making, especially during COVID-19. So my guest is Lisa Romano. She is the CNO for Cypher Health, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. WomenInHealthCare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I'm here today with Lisa Romano, who is the CNO for Cypher Health. Um, and she is working, or, or the title of our show here today is is uh, Healthcare, um, oh, I lost my, my train of thought here, <laughs> uh, Using Cypher Health Technology to Speed Critical Decision Making. Um, so we were talking about testing, and this is a huge confusion for so many people. Um, we understand that um, that this is a contagious disease. Um, I think on some levels, people understand that there needs to be testing. I don't think anybody understands why on earth the United States was not ready to do a tremendous amount of testing, and still, how many weeks later, six plus weeks later, we still aren't ready to do the not, the amount of testing we need to do. So kind of like, what was the what was going on? Why do we need testing? What was going on that, that made this impossible? Why is it taking so long for it to happen? And then kind of what are the next steps? What is testing going to tell us in the long run? So um, Lisa, yeah, Lisa. Great. Great question. Great question. Um, well, I think it you know, I think it is, you know, truly demonstrated with California just how critical testing is, right? Because, you know, California was dealing with this um, long before the East Coast, and yet they really kept their numbers down um, of, you know, patients that uh, became seriously ill. Um, you know, testing for the virus, um, you know, um, we have since learned that about 25% of uh, people that are COVID positive actually are asymptomatic. That's pretty scary, right? So they right. have no symptoms, but they are still very contagious. Um, and so, you know, in, I mean, certainly um, the ideal would be to be able to test everybody 
um, and understand that so that if you are positive and you don't have symptoms, that you are staying isolated for 14 days. Um, we also learned that patients can have very mild symptoms and they can have very different symptoms. So, you know, there are some patients that um, never get the fever, right? Mm -hmm. They never right. get the cough. Um, they might have a stuffy nose. Um, you know, they might be dizzy, tired. And so when they're tested, they're Digestive positive. Digestive problems Again, also. Right. That's the problem, right? And so if we know that a patient is COVID positive, we then have them isolate for 14 days and they, they can basically prevent exposing others. That's, you know, that's basically what happens is that, I mean, I, I think it's like one COVID positive person can infect three people and then they go on to infect people. So it's exponential growth. And that's really what we've seen over the last six weeks as this has just kind of torn across the country. Um, all that said, you know, the testing process has not been ideal. And so we saw communication of test results in the beginning as very powerful. And then suddenly the focus shifted more on, okay, I have patients that are positive, and I need to actually follow them um, longitudinally with outreach for that 14-day period. And this is fascinating, and it is scary, too, because what we've seen is that if you are positive and you have mild symptoms and you're basically isolating and you're caring for yourself, you know, um, and actually not in the hospital, that your, your status, your clinical status can actually deteriorate very, very quickly. And so it is really essential that your provider is actually reaching out to you every day and is actually mm -hmm. assessing your symptoms and if there's been changes. And, you know, um, I mean, oxygenation levels actually deteriorate um, rapidly with COVID in some cases, and they still do not understand uh, why some people can get better from this with only mild symptoms. Some are asymptomatic, and some get very seriously ill and end up going to the hospital and on a ventilator. Um, we know that if we can actually reach out to them every day, uh, monitor symptoms, and get them access to care quickly, that they have a better chance to actually um, survive this. And so um, we saw lab testing in the beginning, you know, um, basically the challenge being giving out test results quickly. And then... Right. We learned as a country that the focus really needed to be on um, longitudinal monitoring. And this is the really scary part. We've also learned that the patients that have negative test results also need the monitoring for 14 days after. We know that about 25% of test results can be false negative. Now, as to whether or not it's a problem with the test results, or maybe as they were waiting in a big long line for testing, they mm -hmm. got exposed to COVID, or uh -huh. they actually left the testing center and they stopped at the grocery store and mm -hmm. they touched the door handle to go in, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there's multiple ways that, you know, you could get COVID after a test result, but we found that a negative test result did not put you in this category as not needing to be monitored. And so, um, you know, really following up with them has been a critical component, and um, we've learned so much, and um, we've been able to help so many people, um, you know, just, just with that contact and actually connecting them back with their provider um, very quickly. Sometimes the um, doctor will say, I'm going to do a telehealth consult or I need you to come 
to the hospital, mm-hmm. I need to see you there or the doctor's office. So, you know, the actual care differs after that point, but Cypher and its, and its uh, platform um, really allows for that critical communication, uh, you know, frequent touch points with the patient after testing. Um, so I'll say, I was... I'll, I was also thinking yeah. with the with the testing problem, as I was watching how the drive-through testing was being done, and how uncomfortable. I mean, I know I've done some of these swab testings where they have to go way back into the nares. It is not comfortable, and people gag and pull pull away. And uh, it seems to me that it would be especially if they have a new tester and somebody who's not real comfortable with what they're doing, that they may not have even gotten to the area where it needed to be swabbed. So that's one of the things right, that I, right. I, as soon as I saw the drive-throughs, I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, so now, and, what- and there's, and there's so many, um, questions too with testing because, you know, they're, they're coming out now with, um, that you don't need to go quite as far back. And they're even talking about testing kits that you can send in. Um, do-it-yourself kind of testing really? kit. So we'll see about the accuracy of all of those. But testing now, they have devices that, you know, they can get results in like five minutes. And so that's wonderful. But that mm-hmm. longitudinal follow-up is still a critical component. And the other piece that's fascinating is, you know, um, antibody testing. So people right. need to understand that the blood test that doesn't tell you if you have active COVID. It's telling you that you had COVID and that now you have antibodies or you don't have antibodies, right? And so that blood testing for antibodies is going to be critical for us to understand in the coming months um, just the number of people that have actually been exposed to COVID and if they were asymptomatic and didn't even know it, and now they have antibodies and potentially resistance to COVID. And that would be a wonderful thing. You know, there was just a study done out of California, and, you know, it, I, I think the number was around uh, 4% of the patients tested did have antibodies, and they didn't even know that they had had COVID in the first right. place. Um, And then that gives us the opportunity for some treatment and learning. So, you know, we're we're, um, very much focusing on the longitudinal monitoring. Uh, We're trying to understand um, new ways of testing, uh, ways we can be helpful with that communication. And the other huge focus now is on screening of staff um, because all the healthcare workers, this is a CMS uh, mandate now that all staff must be screened before they come to work. And so we've never been in a situation where as a nurse, I could get sick going to work, um, you know, in such a capacity as we're seeing across the country. And so, you know, uh, you know, keeping, you know, keeping our, um, precious staff, safe, uh, making sure that they don't have a fever, cough, shortness of breath. And so our system actually can um, call or text the nurse uh, daily, you know, I mean, any provider, uh, and do that symptom screening and then escalate if there's symptoms and then they can get care and then they then become a patient and, it, you know, kind of follow the process. So um, fascinating, fascinating times, scary times, sad times. Yeah, I, I'm interested in the um, the antibodies aspect of it because I think, uh, particularly, it seems like the politicians are banking on this to be able to say, okay, we can we can send pe- uh, people back out into the workplace because they have antibodies. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a study that was done in China was saying like something like one in five or one in seven people um, that even have antibodies is still not immune to uh, COVID, that they can actually get it again. Yeah, they're they're not 100% sure that antibodies make you completely immune to getting 
COVID again, um, you know, they're pretty sure that you will have, in, you know, like some some type of immunity. Um, they're not sure for how long. You know, that said, um, it's certainly a comfort to anybody working um, inside the hospitals to know that they have antibodies and, right. you know, um, not have that constant stress you know, during a 12, 13 hour shift that, you know, you can get sick at any moment. Um, but there needs to be a lot done with antibody testing. I mean, unfortunately, in, and, you know, um, we would be making decisions about opening the country back up based on, you know, understanding um, the numbers of people that have been exposed and do have mm -hmm. antibodies, but um, right. we have very limited access to that testing as of yet, and parts of Lisa, the country are opening back up. Right, already. Lisa, I can't believe it, but we're actually at the end of the show. Um, in about a minute, is there one thing that you want nurses all over the world um, to really remember and understand about what you're talking about? Uh, you know, it's... on. Uh, Nursing's truly a calling. Um, there's, there is just, there is just no greater, uh, there's just no greater mission in life than the work all of our nurses are doing across the country. And um, I just want to thank them. I want to thank them for keeping us all safe. And they're truly heroes. Um, I never thought when, you know, with 2020. Uh, you know, being year of the nurse that um, yeah. we would be faced right. with this challenge. Um, but they are truly warriors, and I thank all of, of them. And I thank you for coming in and explaining this all to us. I think you're going to be getting a lot more calls about people wanting to connect to Cypher Health or something like that. <laughs> so um, as we thank end... Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So as we're ending today, I just want to, uh, you know, remind us too that as 2020 unfolds, we will be needing to support, encourage, and recruit more nurses, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Tragically, some will be needed to replace courageous health workers who came to work in dire circumstances to care for patients with COVID-19 and contracted the virus themselves. Some of those people will have survived, but may struggle with moral trauma and need time to realign their own world. Some may have died. I recently started a page on my website, which is uh, www.onceanurse.com, called COVID Corner to provide resources, stories, connections, and encouragement for nurses everywhere. It is also on my LinkedIn and Facebook pages uh, for Once a Nurse. And you can also contact me at leanne at onceanurse.com to share your experiences, joy, sorrow, innovation from the front lines of nursing, wherever that might be. Thank you so much for listening. And most important, thank you for your compassion and your contributions. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.